we've always kind of thought of that like freelance lifestyle is not just being professional it's like mm-hmm. making you know f- taking the the road less traveled both per- personally and professionally but yeah i think it that really brought was brought into very sharp relief by by like the, the circumstances welcome to don't think twice Vijay and Stevens is the writing and producing duo of Amrita Vijay and Andrew Stevens. Best friends, business partners, creative partners, and now soon to be co-parents. We started our path to co-parenting in 2020 by creating and freezing embryos. In this week's episode, friend, host, and clinical psychologist Marina Weiss walks us through that process from getting our heads shrunk to getting our ovaries prodded. So I understand that this initially began with a plan to freeze embryos. Talk about why you decided to take that route initially. I think for for me and for like a lot of people in our demographic, it was just kind of a way to kick the can down the road, just to delay the decision and uh, to keep the door open, but not really be make any strong like commitments to anything um that's how i felt we were in the middle of the conversation about where amrita was gonna sit in her parenting andrew we, felt very sure he wanted to be a parent at some point i was not sure that i i wanted to be a parent um and so the setup that we had envisioned i think is that if and when this actually happens andrew would be a custodial parent um, and I would just be like an involved adult, an, a bonus adult. Um, so that, that was like sort of the initial picture. And why we chose to do the embryo instead of just, you know, continue a different process that would be more immediate, uh, was because there were, there felt like other elements of our life that weren't fully at the place um, that made it comfortable to have a child. Uh, I mean, that financially, I think there still had to be more conversation about what that looked like or thought on our own parts about what that looked like to more just like personally what we saw ahead of us and in our lives after we had a child. And so I think embryo was that stage where, you know, biologically there is a, there is a, a time. So we knew that the embryo was going to solve that issue and provide us more space and time to think about the other elements of our life. But did you ever consider the option of like separately freezing gametes? That is how that is how ambivalent I was about the notion of of being a parent myself. Um, was that like I just didn't I didn't care to prolong the process for myself. And I hear that you're you're describing it as ambivalence, but I also hear it as like real commitment to the idea of parenting with Andrew, right? Like that you were very. You were not comfortable with the idea of like ambiguous child in the future unless it's in this context. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, and the, at the time, again, like I, I had made no commitment to being involved in this child's life beyond being like fun auntie level. So really, it was just kind of a commitment to being like, I, I, I like this idea of contributing to Andrew's ability to be become a parent. And so tell me more about how you envision the fun auntie timeline looking. Like, 
where you you're not living with Andrew and child you're peripheral to them you show up how frequently you do what yeah it's a great question and I think we hadn't answered all those questions quite yet at the time our lives looked very different at that at that time I was I was single uh, Andrew was partnered there would be an, there was an the eventuality potentially that like Andrew and his partner might like choose to have children together and then you know and then I would be I could even be called mom and we had no problem with that kind of conceptually because it's like we get to define what mom and dad means for for these you know, for this potential kid that, you know, we, we kind of already had the idea in our own like friendship and our own business partnership at this point that we were going to be in the same city. So uh, any potential like family that we would have had, if I had kids separately, if you had kids separately, we were already envisioning that we'd be involved in each other's children's lives already. So, um, so it felt natural that, you know, I would, I would be like sort of the fun auntie to your children, even if they weren't biologically related to me. So I'm hearing that this idea of chosen family was pre-existing any of the plans for biological children. Yeah. And the idea of chosen family was one that appealed greatly prior to any of this like actual planning. We became friends talking about the things we wanted to do in this city with art. And it was a very organic conversation that started with, you know, wanting to make things creatively and pining for old old New York when it seemed <laughs> yeah. that people just fell into each other's living rooms and you know made things together and what we were really saying in an arts community is having a group of intimate friends and when we both realized that neither of us see our lives um, the relationships in our lives taking more of traditional um, looking in a, a, a traditional way that I think we just naturally started to contemplate. You know, even then at that point, I, I, didn't, I didn't really ever envision myself as being someone who was long-term partnered. Like, you know, but, uh, you know, we equate that like you either like choose you opt to have a family and like opt for partner partnership and um or you opt to be like alone you know quote unquote and that is such a like false division of um you know you you may not want to be married but you still might want to be part of a family and what i hear you describing is also something that I think is a common fallacy of our individualistic lens that we think about things just at the individual level and think like, well, you're either in a long-term committed monogamous relationship or you're completely alone and no one is completely alone, right? Like we live in a society like gestures at flaming dumpster, <laughs> right? But like the lack of acknowledgement of the reality and importance of the social, I think is like a, a thing that our culture is really you know, fails to, to support for us. And I think it, that's part of what's so radical and amazing about the decision that you have made to focus on the social and actively construct not just a community for yourselves, but a family for yourselves that it will provide the things that you're looking for in your lives. So I know that a lot of people are probably going to be curious about how um, that process works. What were your first steps in that process? Functionally, our first steps were identifying 
identifying a doctor's office, a mm-hmm. clinic, a fertility clinic. <laughs> Who then showed me a PowerPoint presentation about my diminishing, uh, my diminishing fertility. <laughs> All those sorts of doom and gloom scenarios for women's fertility are based on very, very limited data and also based on data that doesn't actually count for their partner's age. So uh, if you don't take into account that perhaps it could also be diminishing returns on the sperm value or, you know, motility, motility, Um, then, you know, it it leaves out a whole, obviously a whole part of the picture. But um, anyhow, so, so she showed me this doom and gloom, you know, map of my my fertility and um, all this, all this while, you know, you have to keep in mind if you you're a person who seeks out this type of treatment that this is a for-profit enterprise. <laughs> this is one of the one of those areas of medicine where they are making pure profit off of because um, insurance covers very little of this. You know, private companies sometimes do if you happen to work for Facebook, but for the most part, people are paying out of pocket for these very pricey things. So she's trying to charge me. She's trying to sell me a bill of goods. And then we have to make a series of other decisions about, like, for instance, freezing eggs versus freezing embryos. What are the different outcomes for that? And once we make that decision, we also have to decide then who is the patient in this scenario. Is Andrew the patient and I am the donor? Or am I the patient and he is the donor? Can I ask you, Amrita? Did they talk about freezing eggs and embryos simultaneously? Is that an option? Mm-hmm. That's definitely an it option. It is an op. Well, I believe that they would have made me do two cycles. The data supports that embryos tend to have a higher percentage of outcome on the other end because what you're doing is you're sort of eliminating some of the... Uh, the potential areas where things could fall off on the front end instead of on the back end. Yeah. When I froze my eggs, my ex took me to all the appointments and like picked me up from the procedure, et cetera, et cetera. And they kept being like, don't you want to freeze embryos? Like there's better outcomes on the back end. Like essentially, <laughs> oh, so like, they tried to like, charge but I did, I did feel like, well, yeah, if my ex and I were at the place in our relationship where we were like agreed that that was a goal that we shared, like it would have made sense, but it was the, extreme opposite i i i felt like very certain that it was something that i wanted just to have as you said the like the door open later Mm -hmm. um but i was aware that like it would have been better odds if he had been on board as well and that wasn't something that he yeah um, or not necessarily like Mm -hmm. better odds it's just that you kind of have more you you know more what your odds are well but also because that's freezing the partner's sperm as well mm-hmm. like it's freezing and there is all this data that's now coming out that like paternal age is is actually just under researched because it's much easier to identify a pregnant woman as a person who's about to be a parent <laughs> than a man walking right. into the hospital and unfortunately because of misogyny that's used to fearmonger women into being concerned about this and feeling like this is only uh, yeah, like absolutely I mean, did they ever us. ask you anything about me about your age or anything? Yeah, any no demographic no questions? No, not at all. Not at all. It really, really is only about like thirty-five. That's the cliff. When we use the term geriatric pregnancy in medicine to talk about women who are pregnant over or people who are pregnant over the age of thirty-five, but that is referencing very old data. And you never and you never really use geriatric mm-hmm. pater like 
No, men don't get to be geriatric until the they're geriatric over dads. 70, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sure I'm sure you heard some of the, that same language and same like doom and gloom stuff when you went in uh, for a consultation, but um, but so it was after sort of after that I did consider as you you asked earlier whether I wanted to just like freeze some eggs and like you know was was there somewhere in my mind that I thought like maybe there might be like a partner in the future that I wanted to like explore childbearing with um and then I decided no um and and decided to go the embryo route and actually what we decided to do was to have um me be the patient and Andrew be the donor but the reason for that we were cognizant of the power dynamic of who who gets to be the patient and who's the donor uh the way that they set it up medically um Seriously, say medically in the fertility clinic, most often there are two attached parents, whether they are, are regardless of gender, there are two, two, two people who are there at the fertility clinic. They're married. They're and partner. there might be a third person who is providing an egg or, or sperm. In our case, because we weren't partnered in the way that the fertility clinic would recognize, and in no legal way were we partnered, it had to be that one of us had to be a donor for the other person, which, as you can imagine, has legal implications. Right. And it, because of our imagining of the of how this would look at that time, that Andrew was going to actually be the custodial parent and I wouldn't have custodial rights over this, you know, this child. So we structured it so that it would um balance out the power dynamic that like then I would technically own the embryos until such a point as they were used and then they would get signed over (laughs) like more or less and this caused all sorts of questions for them because typically you know because we said well he's going to be the parent and so then they said well but like then you can't be the gestational carrier to me you can't be the gestational carrier because we we our policy is like you know they can't actually bar you from doing that but our policy is that it's it's not done. You know, he's he he shouldn't do this. He shouldn't have you like say that he, he wants you to be the gestational carrier because that is going to create issues down the line. How did you feel about that? I mean, we have lots of things to say about it like <laughs> I have a lot of <laughs> because we we had to navigate a lot of kind of like medical red tape through the, through the process of the embryo freezing, but it's because they have a formula that to Andrew's point, even if it's like a gay couple. So that was a formula that they understood. And then it was like two, you know, aging New York professionals who want to delay their childbirth decision. Like that was a format that they understood, but they didn't really understand what, what, what this was. So we understood what this was. <laughs> so when you ask, like, how do we feel about it? It was like a little bit of exasperation because it was like, we know what we understand what our dynamic is. We've actually talked about it, and now we have to sort of explain everything. We had to explain everything to people that we were paying to do a job. Right. I mean, <laughs> That's the, a good point. to get into it, like, the the way, uh, and of course we should respect doctors, but we should respect doctors to the way we respect any professional, including the mechanic who is it you rely on to fix your car. Frankly, I am the customer, mm-hmm. and we <laughs> it's so easy in a medical setting, even when you're paying for the service to forget that there is a dynamic there that you can push back against. Yeah. And I also hear that 
their concerns were about essentially the combination of these three roles, the combination of the gestational carrier and the egg donor, meaning that you got to be too powerful. There's like a, a <laughs> trinity, you know, of yeah. these three of these. I think that there's a problem in medicine, which sometimes occurs where people are learn about things on the population level and then they over apply them on the individual level. That's right? what it is. And I think That's you need to be is. curious about like, who are these people? If I, if it's a for-profit institution that I walk in and I say, this is the service I want, I don't <laughs> understand why they feel like they can overstep that. When I go and ask for a haircut, he doesn't ask me for what I'm feeling emotionally and what's going to happen. Like, I, I, it just felt there was a, we had to, we can get into this in a second about the next step. Yes. So, so they said, well, because, because of your, your arrangement, we have to, you have to um, get the psychiatric fitness thing, which by the way, we again paid for, paid for the privilege. We paid $400 an hour. In, <laughs> yes. $400 an hour to go into the fertility clinic yeah. and to have psychiatric interviews evaluations evaluations separately individually and then together together. Um, i was mad about it from the very beginning yes i was sitting in in the waiting room because we did (laughs) the same day and i was like somewhere in america somebody is getting knocked up in the back of a like a honda right (laughs) and we're here having to pay thousands of dollars to go and talk to some doctor down the hallway who's gonna what put a stamp of approval on our application or not I mean, Tell us that we can have a child or not. This is such an important point. And it also makes me ask, like, did you consider going turkey baster? Like, did you consider skipping all these? Well, we don't want to do spoiler alert, but. And we did eventually. But, but, we did eventually. But, but, uh, at the, that is the... but at the time, the, the intent was to just, like I said, kick the can down the road, not to like immediately go to, to act, you know, actually doing the thing. So I think if we had been maybe at the point where we had re- were ready to do that, we would have absolutely been like, fuck this. <laughs> this is rude. <laughs> the psychiatrist, ironically, was this like kindly old lesbian woman. You know, she said, queer people have been building our families like however we want for she me, had her forever. own family. Yeah. She had children. She's like, we've been making those choices partner. as queer people forever. Uh, but once you get an institution involved, then that institution then has a responsibility. Uh, it's like what? She never really answered the question. She said they have a responsibility. What did they have a responsibility for? I'm not 100% sure. But basically, now that you've involved us, it is now our responsibility to like do this vetting process. This was... An hour-long interview with Amrita, followed by an hour-long interview with me, which she was asking similar questions, but by no means was this any sort of psychological standardized. standard standardized. Mm-hmm. She knew a couple of questions she wanted to ask, sort of squishy questions, as if to see if we were on the same page about our roles as parents. And then after both of us had those interviews, she brought us together as if it was some like game show and she was going <laughs> like to reveal to us quiz or something. that we had in fact passed. Yeah. Which, which spoiler alert, we'd passed because, well, not so- before she tried to hawk her little stupid children's book at us, a children's book for children. Oh, I'm not sure that she hawked this to me. Was it just me? I think it might've been pulled just out you. And then well, showed you were gonna, me like you were a librarian would. Yeah. She flipped through it slowly. Parent. That was you. She's like, 
you know, families come in different ways. And it was a book about like gay parents and things. And I'm sitting there like, well, who is this for? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where am I? Why? I paid $400 uh, for you well, and to also, flip through a goddamn children's well, so, so book. I, I will say, I will say I went into this with a little bit more of a cool head than Andrew <laughs> did because I thought to myself, well, this person is a professional. Perhaps she has thought of some things that I haven't. <laughs> what we learned is actually that there weren't other things <laughs> and that we went through this whole process and then we're like, oh, we learned like nothing new. Actually, we had, we had, we, we had, had talked about everything and she was like, well, y'all are on the same page. Yeah. And you're like, well, thanks Check. that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, one thing I will say, she, she, she was very disapproving of you not inviting your boyfriend to join the evaluation. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah. Now that you mention it. <laughs> How did you feel about that? I had uh, what I feel about her opinion. I didn't care about her opinion. I didn't care about her opinion before I walked in there. though. I had no open mind. Tell us what you really like. I was really like, like my mother. <laughs> I, mind was back. closed. I did not appreciate the task and I was not going to be open to it. I was polite and respectful. But yeah, of course. <laughs> so instead of telling her that I had had multiple conversations with the person I was dating at the time and had had conversations with him about coming and what he felt about it and what we felt about it. I just. And he wasn't barred from attending. No, no, he was welcome, but it was our conversation to have and, and our decision to make. And so when she was disapproving of it, I'm sure I didn't offer her any explanation. Anything. Yeah. I know myself. Well, I offered her nothing. If mm. I may, if I may ask, be as candid or not as you want, because um, it's obviously somebody, somebody else's privacy that we're talking about. But I was never really privy to what those conversations entailed. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, like, what that looked like for, for you and, and your boyfriend at the time. Uh, we talked about, um, well, I mean, he was involved in, in conversations before we, you know, when we were having conversations about this. And then when the process started um, and the idea that one day he might be a parent. Um, and the reason, and he, he wasn't brought into the embryo process uh, because I, it was a real one step at a time. Um, because again, it was at the time putting off something for another day. So the embryo really didn't feel like the beginning of a, of a baby. So it didn't feel to him as though he was making a decision to become a parent. It didn't feel that like moment. that to me either. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because there was no, it was like, oh, we could use this embryo in six months. We could use it in six years. We could donate it to we science. We could never use it. <laughs> yeah. You know. So y'all were throwing down some significant chunk of money though, like in the service of deferring the stream a bit. Yes. How much was it that you were putting down? Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably at least $12,000. Um, um, and we did do it completely out of pocket and, um, you know, to be transparent, we got some family loan money to, to pursue that because that wouldn't have been in my budget at that time. Um, and again, time was, time was of the essence and time was of the essence. So the issue was kind of like, let's just source some funds however we can and then figure out you know how what does a repayment plan look like at, at, at a future date um and we were lucky enough to be in a position to to have um 
you know, relatives with those kinds of resources that were able to, to help. But so, you know, I, what I'm hearing from you is that there was this kind of dissonance between on the one hand, like, this is a casual thing where we're not currently thinking about this as a child. And on the other hand, we're actually dropping like quite a bit of of money on the, in the service of this, like thing that we're pretending is very casual and abstract. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how do you reconcile that now? Knowing then what we know now, what we always know is that you don't know the future. Um, we, we didn't know the future then, and we don't know what will happen now. We still have embryos frozen. I guess, uh, it, the price tag was a lot. Um, I kind of held my nose about it because I thought that the idea of delaying the choice was actually worth that price tag. Um, and that's, I think, a decision that a lot of people have to make. And it kind of sucks that you have to put a dollar price tag on how much that choice matters to you. Um, but for me, I was like, well, I'm unsure enough about about this that I am willing to pay tens, like 10000 10, plus dollars to delay that decision. And I think that's just like a personal um, thing that you have to unfortunately like nickel and dime yourself um because that's that's the world we live in so let's break down what happens when someone goes in for a procedure like this like what happened after your psyche valve basically um again because of our relationship and because we were not uh romantic when we were not sexual partners they said, okay, well, the process is for embryos then that you have to get your known donor to go to a sperm bank. He can't just like come give us the sample. He has to go to sperm bank. Then he has to get this whole barrage of tests. Then he has to give them um, a sample, which then they will put in the freezer for six months. And then he will have to, then he will have to get tested again at the end of the embargo period. And then that, that sperm will get released. There was also this sort of element of homophobia there where it was like because the six months to be clear is to see the presence of hiv yeah hiv sorry yeah Yeah. uh and that was the only way that we were able to do it so i was like six months holy shit like we really like that's that's too long so then they were like well we do have this one clinic that we or this one sperm bank that we have a deal with where they're able to shorten Nobody was able to explain this, by the way why (laughs) why they're like they're they're able to shorten the embargo period to three months it's because that sperm bank is located above a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so the caffeine, Literally. the caffeine just yeah. cuts just that in half. Elucidates the presence of HIV yeah. so much faster. <laughs> it's the presence of the, of the seasonal donuts in yes. particular. Yeah. yeah. A good crawler. If we had said we are sexual partners. They would have let us do they it would next not have. I suggested that we lie. This is how I remember it. I suggested that we lie. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, no, like we like they need to learn that there are different ways of, of people being in the world. And like, well, it costs me money to do that. <laughs> but an additional point is that and I mean, just for our listeners, if anyone's not aware, like they also make such a big show in many disciplines of not accepting blood donations from gay men. And it's really laden with this like stigma around you know and the homophobia and stigma around hiv which is all really antiquated 
right? But it comes from a perspective that's prioritizing the unborn hypothetical child over your real feelings and experiences and your real test results and testimony about who you are and what your behavior is, right? Like there's lots of queer men out there who are not at risk for infection of HIV because they're monogamous or because they don't have that type of sex or whatever. Like, and it just feels like this blanket assumption about medicine that like gay men that from medicine that gay men are at risk for HIV is a fallacy. Like lots of people are potentially at risk for HIV who are not gay men and are not treated that way. Right. So, so for my, for my part, uh, I had to sort of, um, hurry up and wait at that point because it was like, okay, now we have to hit pause while we go, while we send Andrew to the cryobank. Oh, my cryobank experience very shortly, I had to go there a couple of times because, of course, once you have to give the sample that then they freeze and they can't use. Uh, and then I think I had to go there may- maybe three times. But it was, in fact, over at Dunkin' Donuts. It did not have wireless um, Internet. You were not allowed to connect to the Internet on your phone. They only had really gross um uh, straight pornography in magazine form. And <laughs> none of the rooms were soundproofed. Uh, and... So it was a terrible experience. Yes. And I did, in fact, complain. And it fell on, what's the opposite of a deaf ear? A sympathetic hearing, ear. A sympathetic ear. Thank uh-huh. you. A sympathetic ear. And I was called into an office and I was apologized to. And I was like, oh, that's nice. What? That that, that, that it was all like jugged The thing that seemed to really resonate with the director of the cryobank <laughs> was that there was no alternative pornography. Uh-huh. She seemed to really, she, I've been complaining about that for years. She said that? that? Like, yeah, she said that. <laughs> the quality I was of like, the pornography you know, is not that concerned. <laughs> but it's the... I was like, real, like, if you could just have internet, that'd be great. Because I went to the front desk. They put me in a room. What I does the room look out. like, by the way? Does the it have room chairs? A, it has one chair, which I did not touch. <laughs> and an all-white room, three in a row. And they don't... They don't care if you see the other people, men being escorted to the rooms next to you. So it's basically like you're like, look at the other man next to you in the eyes while you go into these like booths, right? And then the walls are constructed of cardboard, essentially. And I am invited into the room. Then I come back to the front desk and I'm like, excuse me, um, what's the Wi-Fi? And the woman says, you know, I, I'm so sorry. You know, you, we, we can't let guests on the Wi-Fi. But um, sometimes you can pick up the Dunkin' Donuts Wi-Fi <laughs> on the first floor. Really coming through. What's that? So, I was like, so you expect me to stream something from the, the Dunkin' Donuts Wi-Fi? <laughs> you know, she just kind of shrugs, and I and and I couldn't, so I couldn't get internet. So I'm trying to improvise, and I'm positioned in a room next to the supply closet it turns out and i'm psyching myself up i'm getting into some sort of zone and two people decide to restock the the (laughs) supply closet and i hear crinkling and they're unboxing things and they're putting pins and they're counting stock and then like yeah like do you want tacos for lunch no (laughs) no maybe like a hamburger (laughs) you know and I'm in this room completely quiet. They don't play music in the thing, which they should. So there's like... Or at least white noise. There's nothing. 
I think your next side business should be a cryobank. (laughs) With like slightly better vibes. Just the vibes could be immaculate, right? I'm like, I need to poke my head out and be like, excuse me. But I can't because, you know, my pants are around my ankles. (laughs) And you're trying not to touch any of the surfaces in the room. (laughs) Right. And just one graphic detail. I won't be too graphic. But I will just say that in order to have samples that are usable in the lab and samples that are usable in embryo, the the actual material cannot be contaminated by any other... Lubricant? Substance. So Mm. lubricant is not allowed... Mm-hmm. And oh God. so it's just this sad, dry <laughs> affair. <laughs> um, did that place get closed down? That place no longer exists. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I recall. Yeah. So then we had to wait, and we just waited, and we waited, and we waited, and then um, and then I then my part of the procedure, which looks very much like anyone who's getting an egg retrieval, which is that you um have a controlled pumping yourself full of a cocktail of hormones to cause you to hyper ovulate basically. And then they keep checking. You get, you get lots of wanded, what do you call them? Vaginal ultrasounds. Yes. Um, and uh, blood tests. And I want to interject here because when people think vaginal ultrasound, they might not understand how invasive <laughs> the procedures are. It's when like you're, a, it's like they're also trying to look at your ovaries, so they're just like going in there and then, they're and then going like sideways, moving it around, just moving like, it around. like a baton twirler. And you're like, <laughs> Hello. and then when they decide that like your the time is just right, then you take your trigger shot, and then your surgery is scheduled for twenty four hours, right? Yes. You've been through this more recently, I guess. Yes, that's all accurate. But I think you're skipping over the weirdness of giving yourself (laughs) shots in the tummy. Oh, yes. That that is a huge part of it. Like, yeah. Well, so so first of all, the entire process from start to finish is 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 significantly shorter than I thought it would be. So in most cases, it's like 12 to 14 days. Um, but you do have to give yourself multiple shots, um, self-administered, which is actually bad shit because they won't let they won't give you like birth control pills over the counter but some for some reason they're like combine the serum and the powder and then mix it all together and then get rid of the air bubbles and draw the canister it's like actually fairly complicated like nursing in my opinion like a nursing level procedure that you're asked to do that they just ask anybody just to do it do it at home so um and and the first the first day that I was supposed to administer them, I just sat there for like probably at least a half an hour, like paralyzed with having to stab myself. So once I got over the barrier of like it's the self administration, like that first one was like the really hard. Um, but after that, I actually got used to it pretty quickly. And for anyone in the audience who might not be familiar with this process. Basically, all of the shots that you take up until the trigger shot make all of your follicles ripen, and then the trigger shot makes them, like, ready to go. And I'm less, com- like, clear on the actual yeah. science of that. No, that, I think but... that, that in layperson's terms, that's exactly how I understand it, too. And then the actual procedure is in it's – a, it's a surgery – um, and they put you they put you under, but not like in under general anesthesia. It's like that twilight kind. So they literally strap you in with like a velcro strap. So you're like mm-hmm. confined onto. You're this. kind of in like a half cast for the <laughs> lower half of your legs. It's, it's really weird. Lot. It's really weird. Um, and then 
you know, and then you don't remember what happens after that, but they supposedly it's only like a 15 minute procedure. Um, I, for me, it was imperceptible that any time had passed at all. They, I guess they go in through your cervix, but the reason I, I say this at all is because I had an IUD in this entire time and they were just like, you can just leave it in through the entire procedure. Question, is your IUD, IUD hormonal? It was, yeah. Interesting. I don't I don't don't know how that works. <laughs> Neither do I. Once I got my eggs extracted, then the next step is they've they've they have his sample. So now they now have all the materials to mix <laughs> well, I should say they've done full genetic testing on both of us from from blood donations to make sure that we have not we do not uh, have any genetic markers that might pose a problem, which shockingly we didn't. <laughs> Our genetic pools are quite and, far apart. <laughs> yes. And then uh, they, and so then they introduce them to all the eggs and let it incubate. So they know that healthy sperm and healthy eggs incubate. And then do you remember how many eggs they were able to retrieve so i think they were initially able to get 18 or something like that but then only 12 of those or something were mature dozen eggs met the sperm and were allowed to incubate for a matter of days and then from there the they assess the viability of of the embryo itself. Like did did they actually fertilize and then a certain number fertilize? of them like I think only like eight of them actually fertilized and then out of that eight only six of them progressed. So by the time they get to day five, you know, they're calling you every day with these updates and there's like more and more drop off. And I was like, <gasps> you know, um, we knew that there was a possibility that we could go through this entire thing and end up with zero at the end. Um, and you you never know. So we ended up with two healthy embryos at the end of the process. Um, I've had other friends go through this process multiple times. I, I have one friend who went through it, through it twice. The first time she got one, and then the next time she got six. So it's there's a huge variability um, even with the same people at the same age. And did you learn the sex of the embryos? Mm -hmm. We did. Yeah, so you we can have help. two healthy embryos. One's a boy, one's a girl. But yeah, those are still there. So we're, we, if we ever return to them, it's like, are they actually the elder siblings yeah. technically? <laughs> are they the old ones? And if we don't use them, you can contact us. <laughs> I'll contact you. For fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000. We have family and friends discounts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Black wow, market. I did not realize I was purchasing them. <laughs> <laughs> and what might people expect once the process is done? A big old fat bill. Yes. The twin the twins' rent is a thousand dollars a year. Um so it's not, you know, by New York standards, kind of a steal. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of follow up, it I mean, my the cynical part of me is that says that, you know, the the transactional part of that relationship is done for the clinic. So they really don't have that much communication with you. Once it's in the freezer, then it's just basically like, we got it on ice until until you contact us for further 
procedures. Um, I, I did get a notice when Roe v. Wade was overturned that was like, so just FYI, I'm sure you probably got the same notice. Um, mm. Your 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 tissue is not affected by this. Like that that was like that's basically the most I've heard from them since, other than the bills, um, since it happened. So maybe we should stop there for today. In our next episode, it's D Day. Well, it's time to conceive this pregnancy. When I say we get into it, we get into it. In the meantime, you can find Marina at marinaweiss.com and us at vjandstevens.com or at vjandstevens on Instagram. That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H.